Cascadia and the edge of the world, Euphomet presents Night Drift with Jim Perry. From the hinterlands, concealed by fog, at the intersection of society and strange, this is an interview series about the unknown and our relationship to it. Produced by the documentary podcast series Euphomet, here we commune and wander through the big wonder with guests who are thinkers, explorers, experiencers of the phenomenon that is on the edge of it all. This is Night Drift, and I'm Jim Perry. Tonight, guest Mitch Horowitz discusses topics that evoke widespread misunderstanding, including the real history of secret societies, the wisdom of the satanic, the relevance of Gnosticism, and the slender but authentic connection between today's spiritual culture and antiquity, including in areas of hermeticism, deity worship, out-of-body experience, and magic. He demonstrates that occult roots of wide-ranging facets of modern culture, including politics, abstract art, mind-body healing, self-help, and breakthrough scientific fields such as quantum physics and neuroplasticity. We'll jump right into that conversation in just a minute, but I wanted to first let you know that you can weigh in on this conversation tonight. Email me, jim at euphemet.com, and use hashtag nightdrift on Twitter. Mitch Horowitz is a historian of alternative spirituality and one of today's most literate voices of esoterica, mysticism, and the occult. He is among the few occult writers whose work touches the bases of academic scholarship, national journalism, and subculture cred. Mitch is a writer in residence at the New York Public Library and a Penn Award-winning historian whose books include Occult America, The Miracle Club, Daydream Believer, and Uncertain Places. The Washington Post says, Mitch treats esoteric ideas and movements with an even-handed intellectual studiousness that is too often lost in today's raised voice discussions. Mitch, welcome to Night Drift. Thank you, man. Good to be here. So the intro of this very program, I labeled this series as being at the intersection of society and strange. All and right. <laughs> you mentioned in your new book on certain places. <laughs> yeah, right. The intersection you like to be is where the occult and mainstream history intervene. I'm just curious, what does that look like to you in your mind's eye? Well, there is an occult history. It's a neglected history. It's an overlooked history. And I try to use the tools of a historian to uncover it. I try to use the tools of sound and critical thinking in everything that I do. I believe that excellence comes not so much from your area of inquiry, but the nature of the effort that you bring to it. So mm. that's that, that, that's constantly where I'm trying to live. Yeah. And listen, you know, being that this show, we we talk about the occult, we talk about new thought, we talk about the paranormal. And I'm really fascinated by the first chapter you you of this book. You go in hard. And and yep. it's it's like I'm reading John Keel. It's like I'm reading Jacques Vallée, and there is a, a a sort of a unified theory that that comes to life within this. I'm so fascinated. But I, I think you know how do you think the supernatural relates to occultism? Well, I used to look at UFOs, for example, as being indirectly related to the occult. In fact, I probably make that reference in the introduction to the book. Right. But it seems to me that these two conversations are converging. I have 
been considering over the past several years as the UFO thesis has gone mainstream, whether in fact it may be the case that all of these things that we describe as anomalies, whether we call them UFOs or cryptids or poltergeists or uh, you know, you use whatever term uh, you wish, uh, may be a reflection of the capacity of the psyche to travel among different intersections of time or what we might call different dimensions. And at first blush, it sounds really far out, but the fact is the material that has come out of, say, quantum mechanics over the past 80, 90 years or so, almost as a logical imperative, requires us to consider the infinitude of reality. We know, for example, that space-time bends as an actual fact. What we consider to be time is really a, a linear construct that may be very important right. for us to get through the day as five-sensory <laughs> beings, but... right. We know that time bends in extreme conditions of, of gravity, of velocity. And for example, astronauts in our own era, although they're not traveling anywhere near the velocity of light speed, they actually do experience minute effects of age, redu age reduction that can be measured. And these things are not just theoretical. And we also have an enormous amount of statistical data, really bulletproof, solid, replicable data coming out of academic ESP research or parapsychology, uh, including in areas of what we call precognition or retrocausality. And quantum theorists, people in the hard sciences have tried to deal with some of this contradictory and surrealistic information by coming up with models like string theory, for example, which conceptualize all of reality existing on these undulating bands of strings. And it could be that something going on in a different dimension or different intersection of time or infinitude affects things that go on in the world that we see, that we experience. And I got to wondering if after there being so much data uh, in the anomalous, including testimony, including empirical evidence, such as uh, the UFO videos and, and, and documentation that we possess, whatever it is, maybe, maybe uh, suggestive of the psyche taking in events that are going on that are real, that are concrete, but that are occurring in different uh, intersections of time. Um, it only seems far out until one delves into the data that we have Right. collected which in its implications is more extraordinary than anything i write about yeah yeah most definitely and listen uh our, our friends leslie kane ralph blumenthal their work with the new, new york times in that breakthrough article that appeared in 2017 i've always thought and maybe you agree with me that once that article dropped and that it became water cooler talk that was acceptable amongst yeah. mainstream media folks amongst just normal folks everyday folks that there was something of a breakthrough uh, quality in nature to that. that yes. Other things were to be considered like um, uh, new thought, magic, uh, the occult. If this is true, what else is possible? Do, do you agree with that? Absolutely. It was an enormous cultural change. You know, when that article appeared and subsequent pieces that they wrote it, it changed the culture. Uh, the UFO thesis is mainstream in a way that I never could have imagined, even right? say five, six years ago. It's, it's crazy. It's just incredible. Yeah. yeah. And I don't think any serious person would deny the validity of the question, the notion that 
um, you know, it's swamp gas or, you know, little green men or just delusions is, is ridiculous. I mean, that's not a position that any serious person holds. And the public really cares about this material very deeply. The fact that this material comes out of quarters of um, our society, precincts of our society, in this case, the military, where people are well-trained, they're, they're, they're capable of identifying aerial phenomena, and you have cockpit reportings of people going, dude, what is that? Yeah. And the whole society is asking the same question, dude, what is that? Yeah. And I don't think that can ever be put back in the box. My hope is that that's going to help open up uh, different er different inquiries, like ESP research, for example, which is very inexpensive and yet suffers from a real paucity of funding. Uh, and most ESP researchers, for example, have to work unbelievably hard raising their own money. And anybody who's ever written a grant proposal knows that that's a career in and of itself. The fact yeah, that these people absolutely. Yeah, are capable of raising their own money and conducting their research and holding their day jobs in academia is is pretty incredible. So I'm hoping that we're going to see an opening in that field as well. Well, you had an amazing quote in in uncertain places and that was that you believe amazing randy who was a popular skeptic for decades set us back as much as 10 years as 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 much as a decade in esb research in various serious ways can you elaborate a little bit on 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 that and and uh and and that situation sure well randy who died about two years ago he was the most famous figure uh who emerged from a professional skeptics, a polemical skeptics apparatus, whose only uh, job in life uh, seems to be uh, dispelling inquiry into the extraphysical. And uh, that uh, effort at dispelling inquiry was often done with a, a very poor um, ethical code, uh, very poor standards of reporting, um, a lot of dishonesty, as I display in a piece about uh, James in the book. I'm deeply critical of him because I think that he modeled for a whole generation of pseudo-skeptics yeah. uh, the art, if one can put it that way, of defending reason uh, through polemical, uh, dishonest, and shoddy methods. And I go through case by case where in several important and critical instances, uh, he brutalized the facts to invalidate study of the extraphysical, thus making mm -hmm. it much harder for people who are trying to conduct some of this research on an academic level to do so without damage to their reputations or to, you know, as I was referencing earlier, to gain access to funds. Um, the people who admire figures like James have done a terrible injustice on Wikipedia, where they have spiked a lot of articles with uh, tautological and false and superficial references. Uh, they throw around terms like pseudoscience in a way that's entirely uh, polemical, that strips that term of any real meaning. And I'm not precisely sure I understand them. I think that my understanding of human nature really hits its <laughs> limits uh, when people dedicate their time to really curbing the inquiry after knowledge. And they they do it without any sense of proportionality. They make yeah. no distinction between a legit 
ESP researcher and your average storefront psychic. And it's uh, it's a real intellectual crisis and they've been very successful. Uh, and their success has really just amounted to stymieing some of the research. But truth has a way of being persistent and will we continue to find our way forward. Uh, I've written very recently about the efforts of a clinical psychologist at Cornell, Daryl Bem, who about 10 years ago released a really extraordinary paper based on his inquiries into precognition or retrocausality. And uh, 10 years since, uh, his research has been uh, has has proven confirmatory in a meta-analysis that encompassed 90 studies uh, conducted at 33 different labs in 14 different nations. And the fact that 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 these findings uh, continue to amass and and prove replicable in the face of such opposition is really extraordinary. It really speaks to the fibrousness of the men and women engaged in these things. Yeah, yeah, very much so. It's I mean, it's so fascinating that you look at our popular culture and the media that we consume mm-hmm. and the fiction, right? And it's we're talking about it's it's mirrors of the same stuff. It's a yeah. reflection, right? I yeah. Mean, you're looking at Doctor Strange. I mean, come on. <laughs> Isn't it <laughs> remarkable? You know, it's remarkable <laughs> and. Uh, it's funny, Doctor Strange was was co-created and illustrated by one of my favorite creators, Steve Ditko. Yeah. And Steve didn't really believe in any of this stuff. Steve was an ardent materialist, but his his imagination, his creative capacity was such that he gave us a language for some of it, which is yeah. which is kind of unusual. That's really fascinating. Um, before we go to a break, I want to just ask you, you know, while you're out here, you have been hitting all the podcasts, you've been hitting the radio shows, you were just, you're sleep deprived to, today from being yes, on the last night. I'm um, a science experiment. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so. <laughs> exactly. At this point, uh, has there been anything that you feel that you have wanted to talk about with either uncertain places or where your head is at right now in, in this space, in this game? That you haven't had a chance to talk about. I mean, how are you? How are you feeling right now, Mitch? Is what I'm wondering. Right, I, I groove to that. Well, first of all, uh, the thing that I have gleaned from doing all these appearances and a lot of talks and so forth is I've been really moved by the degree to which the interviewers, in in many many cases, have been really well prepared. The questions are focused. Um, the um, the quality of the discussion is high. I spoke at a UFO conference uh, here in New York City, which is home, about three, four weeks ago. And I was really impressed by the roster of speakers, the nature of the audience. The questions were very, they were very focused. They were very temperate. Mm. They were very composed. And 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 that's a real improvement in the searching culture. Um, you know, I, I, I kind of get worried sometimes about people getting so overheated with their points of view that they create these camps of orthodoxy where it's difficult to have a real exchange. But sure. I've actually been really heartened by what's out there. That may be that may be a positive after effect of the articles you were talking about by Leslie Keen, Ralph Blumenthal, and Helene Cooper. I, yeah. I, it just may be that it's broadened the fold and it's 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 been to the benefit of the search. Well, listen, I think when people are out there writing cool books like Occult America, opening a lot of people's minds, too. Um, Thank you. It, you know, it, it helps as well. So, all right, we're going to take a quick break here on Night Drift. I'm Jim Perry with Mitch Horowitz tonight. We'll be right back.
Follow Night Drift with Jim Perry on Spotify and subscribe on Apple Podcasts to receive new episodes of Night Drift automatically and gain access to all of our past episodes. Jim Perry on Alternative Talk, 1150 AM, KKNW, Seattle. Now, here again is Jim. This is Night Drift. I'm Jim Perry. We've introduced a new perk for Euphemet patrons, an ad-free Euphemet podcast feed, and you can use it wherever you listen to podcasts. Go to euphemet.com and click the top banner to become a patron today. You can un- unlock ad-free shows and access to the occasional Hangout. Thank you for those that have subscribed thus far. My conversation with Mitch that happened in August of 2016, over six years ago. Uh, that conversation is on that very feed. The original Euphemet series is on there. If you continue just scrolling, 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 ad-free original, go listen to where we were at over six years ago before those breakthrough articles even appeared. What was the world like? Um, and thank you for listening tonight. In his new book, Uncertain Places, Mitch Horowitz offers a thought-provoking investigation of the spiritual, the occult, the magical, and the extra-physical. Mitch lays the groundwork for readers to continue their own journeys into these esoteric streams of consciousness, and he's here with us tonight on Night Drift. Mitch, thanks again for joining us. Thank you, man. Great to be here. So, a sweeping reinterpretation of major themes at the sharp edge of American imagination. That's from Jacques Vallée regarding uncertain places and mitch i mean holy man i just gotta ask you (laughs) what does an endorsement like that feel to you it means so much to me you know jacques has been a huge influence on me jacques is really the person who pioneered the 
interdimensional thesis of UFOs. I've been hugely influenced by him. He's not only a great intellect, but he's a great communicator, brilliant writer. Uh, Jacques did something that, from a certain perspective, should be impossible, but he made it work. He published a series of his diaries. Um, I think they're called Forbidden Science. And this series consists of about five of Jacques's journals uh, composed over a period of about 10 years. And the man publishes his journals and their fascinating reading. This is something that people used to do in France back in the 19th century. And (laughs) only the French could do this and get away with it. And (laughs) and I'm reading Jacques's journals and I'm saying, wow, in addition to everything else this man has done as a computer information scientist, as a UFO theorist, as a researcher, as a writer, he revived a, a literary form that once upon a time was very popular and that in the digital age we lost patience for and Jacques just went out there and he he reclaimed it he reclaimed mm-hmm. it in publishing these long form books consisting of his journals and the last person who probably did that was Henry Steele Olcott one of the founders of the Theosophical Society who published a six-volume series of his diaries with the not terribly sexy title, Old Diary Leaves. Uh, <laughs> doesn't exactly announce, read me. But, wow. <laughs> but right, exactly. But Forbidden Science, much more appealing title. And and it's just enthralling reading. So uh, I was overjoyed that uh, he supported the book in that way. I love it. And you've had uh, look, the, the UFO event that you were at recently. Um, you've also uh, spoke with Whitley Strieber recently as well, right? Yes. As a live yes. event. Um, how do you find yourself now in this sort of vortex of UFO culture in addition to the world you were in before? Last time we talked, you were really like sort of on the margins of that. I don't think you had entered that space as predominantly as you have now. Uh, what does that feel like? I, I know you have a UFO tattoo. So, right. Oh, that's right. I have a tattoo of Buddy Holly with flying saucers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just yeah, occurred yeah. to me years ago, and I wanted yeah, yeah. it. So that was that. Right. <laughs> so is this like a full circle now uh, to Buddy Holly land? Well, it's interesting. You know, um, I've 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 become more deeply ensconced in UFO culture. I would say just over the past couple of months. Uh, this wow. is very recent. Well, of course, I do write about it in uncertain places, so it's older than that, but. Uh, I, I guess I always viewed myself as kind of an in-law to the UFO movement. I wasn't sure. specifically part of it. I care about it. I'm interested in it. But I think getting invited to that anomalous experiences conference was a catalyst for a deeper involvement. Uh, the talk that I gave at that conference is called Anomalous Experience and the Crisis of Skepticism. And it touches on some of the themes you and I have already covered. And that's up on YouTube on a couple of channels if people want to watch that. But that was very important to me because the event was just a model one-day conference. As I mentioned, the speakers were terrific. The audience responses, the questions, the quality of the people there was of a, a, a really high echelon. And it was very helpful to me because sometimes in the ufology world, you know, there's a presence of anger and paranoia. And that's understandable mm-hmm. because the government has undertaken efforts at suppression. And we know this. And and these things have been documented through FOIA requests and so forth. And there is understandably 
a frustration, but you can't always argue and research and study from the perspective of frustration, or you just paint yourself to a very narrow corner. And the podcasts and the appearances that I've done recently have demonstrated to me that there's just a wonderful dialogue going on within the seeking community concerning UFOs. So I'm 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 happy to be invited to the table. It's an honor. Well, it's also really cool because high strangeness has been embraced again. Yes. And high strangeness is just is just right there to, to things like consciousness and people stumbling upon, you know, the work of Ray Hernandez or something, uh, you know, and Edgar Mitchell. And, and yes, it's it's a rabbit hole that people can fall into very easily where they're just considering a lot of different things. And then maybe at that point in time, they start reading occult literature as well. Yeah. And as I said, those conversations are starting to converge. I used to think of the UFO thesis as very indirectly related to my issues, my concerns with the occult and the metaphysical. And now I I think those things are are really conjoining. And and that's because of the interdimensional thesis. If I used to I've long described the occult as the belief in an interdimensional or a, a dimension, an unseen dimension of life mm. whose events and occurrences can be felt on and through us. And I think that the UFO experience, it fits very well under that umbrella and is very probably part of what is going on under that umbrella, which right. isn't to say that there may not also be an ET aspect to it as well. There could be a a complexity of things going on, which is something that we always have to remember. We we don't have to get into this binary thinking of it's all just this or it's all just that. The likelihood is there's a complexity of things occurring. And, and that's true in our personal lives as well. When people are struggling with a problem or a riddle in their personal life, there's very often a complexity of causes and there may be a complexity of solutions. And I believe the same is, is likely true with phenomena. A uh, question from a friend of the show, Darcy Staniforth, who I think you might be familiar with. Totally well. digger, yeah, yeah, great Which, intellect. Uh, she she's on this show quite often uh, as a as a co-host. She asks, "How do you think that the rise of new thought and a better understanding of occultism in the United States will change the American landscape?" Well, I do observe that in this unbelievably divided landscape that we live in today, it, it bears mentioning today is election day, um, <clears throat> the belief in the causative properties of thought, which is really the, the, the core of new thought, is one of these ideologies that actually unites us. Uh, I, I wrote a piece recently on the legacy of Norman Vincent Peale, whose book, power of positive thinking celebrates its 70th anniversary this year. And uh, Donald Trump cites Peel as a source of influence. Well, you walk we don't talk the, about him on this program. We don't talk about him <laughs> on this program. But no, I dig. And, 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 and that gives a lot of people pause, and it should give them pause, and it gives me pause. At the same time, as I know in the article, I, I've walked through the hallways of a boys' high school in Harlem here in New York City, where I live, and the kids painted a hallway mural where they quote Norman Vincent Peale. And, you know, this is one area where these two very, very, very diffuse worlds converge, where people from very different backgrounds, very different outlooks, very different walks of life are capable of agreeing on a point of human existence that says, yes, 
our thoughts to some greater or lesser degree concretize our reality. And that perspective runs through um, New Age growth centers. It runs through evangelical media centers. They might have very different cultural reference points, but they agree on certain greater aspects of the human psyche. And I'm heartened by that. I'm interested in that. So in that vein, I don't think that New Thought or any other philosophy is coming, is galloping onto the scene to save us. But I do look for areas of commonality where people of different values can have conversations and relate to one another. Do you think uh, the, the idea of materialism is an issue that we have to contend with in, in creative ways? Uh, or is there a space where it can live alongside uh, these other ideas? Well, materialism is the philosophy, basically, that matter creates itself and that everything is a function of cognition, motor skill, chemical processes. Thought is nothing but an epiphenomenon of the brain and that we live within a box of Newtonian mechanics. And we might discover stuff that that goes outside that box, but none of that has any implications uh, for life within that box doesn't pierce it, doesn't matter. And in fact, if we get distracted looking at the implications, then we veer off into fantasy land. That's the basic materialist view. Can it exist alongside these inquiries? It can certainly coexist alongside these inquiries. I'm very happy to have debates with materialists. I do engage in debates with materialists when I can find those who are well-informed, responsible, and interested in having an authentic discussion. I need them to a certain extent because I mm. want them to point out areas where I make mistakes, get something wrong, get the facts wrong. Uh, by all means, I encourage people, go into my footnotes, call me out if I'm exaggerating. At the same time, materialism has become this kind of over-philosophy that's very dominant within academia, a lot of mainstream media, uh, a lot of journalism, and yet it has hit a point of irrelevancy because it doesn't cover all the bases of life. All the things that you and I have been making reference to in this conversation go outside the materialist paradigm, and their paradigm is not working, and I mean that in a more than rhetorical way. And I think ours is the last generation that's going to see the overall dominance of materialism as this determining philosophy of how to view life. That said, materialism as a media presence, materialism as a prejudice, frankly, is going to hang around for a long, long time. Uh, its leading exponents tend to be very skilled. Those people who accept its premises they don't even realize they're accepting a philosophical premise. They think mm. that it's the equivalent of calling water wet. Sure. It's just describing reality. <laughs> so right. I, 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 as much as I like you know, Bill Maher and Rachel Maddow, I don't think I'm going to have much success at persuading them that taking a look at ESP research is not violating common sense. It's affirming it. And, 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 and that's how deeply entrenched uh, this outlook is. Uh, but it's fraying and it's fading and it's it's going to remain successful for some time to come because it's so deeply entrenched. But it 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 simply is is incapable of covering uh, all the bases of life. The more and more we know, the less and less materialism covers. Yeah. 
I mean, it's so fascinating because it, it's sort of like that idea that, uh, listen, Newtonian physics, there's elements of that that, that, that form a great construct for the nature yes. of reality. But at the same time, you have uh, quantum physics and or things like string theory that uh, compromise or contradict certain things within, but they both, they w both work on their own side of, you know what I mean? And so they it's do. like, how do you, how do you uh, 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 advise a culture, a media that kind of two things can be uh, right, <laughs> two things can be wrong. There can be multiple things. Is this, uh, I mean, you mentioned duality. Is, th is this just kind of a struggle against the, the notion of duality? Well, it seems to me that it's a struggle against the notion of binary thinking. It's this insistency that has been conditioned into us that there's true and there's false. And th those are the only categories in which we can think. But in fact, there's true, there's false, there's unintelligible, there's there's active, there's passive, and there's reconciling. And I think the way you framed it is exactly right. Uh, the day-to-day -day life that we experience is one of Newtonian mechanics. If you and I have a, a date to sit down and record your show at 8 p.m. Eastern time, I can say to you, well, man, there is no time. So I'll show up whenever. <laughs> well, you could. You know, of, of course, right. I'm sure you have guests who do that, but, but <laughs> I don't want to be among them. And, um, so <clears throat> obviously, as five sensory beings, we need certain devices to get through life. Linearity is one of those devices. A sense of singularity of objects is one of those devices. Those are overwhelmingly persuasive and they're necessary, but they're not the only game in town. Uh, just as, you know, if you, I said, it's acknowledging that, that, that it seems to materialists believe that their view of life is as, is as evident as acknowledging that water is wet. Well, is water wet? Water can be vapor. Water can be liquid. Water can be solid, all depending on temperature. It's all H2O. You know, we have to start to, to think more flexibly and not to get so afraid that letting go of the reins of 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 accepting what belongs to common observation means that somehow we're flying off into the into the stratosphere mm -hmm. or, or drifting into crystal ball territory. You know, as I referenced earlier, <laughs> seriousness comes not from the, the nature of your inquiry, but from the excellence that you bring to it. And that doesn't mean that it's free license just to ask anything. Obviously, I think that responsible inquiry doesn't dehumanize other people, doesn't target or dehumanize other communities doesn't get us into this us versus them mindset where we're always mm. seeking a, a hidden enemy. But there's nothing intrinsic <clears throat> to studying the extra physical that brings that along in its wake. And we have to start to be able to recognize seriousness without this requirement that seriousness must conform to whatever it is I already believe. That's a terribly yeah. narrow place to paint oneself. Yeah. That's so interesting. We have to go to a break right after this, but I just want to bring up, and, and you brought this to my mind, you know, how do you, I mean, how do you think we balance that with those folks out there on whatever political spectrum they may be on the left or the right that um, when we look at a time where truthiness is a thing and a myth, yes. right? And that the nature of our truths are very different based off of how they have been positioned to us culturally. And we're dealing with a time where we have people 
still den- making some uh, some very serious claims about people and or elections or whatever right. else. Right. And you have a contingent that are, <clears throat> is very scared of those responses of anything conspiratorial in nature. And then you have a conspiracy based nation at the same time. And I guess what I'm saying is, how does one bridge the gap to let them know that there is uh, it doesn't need to be black and white? There doesn't need to be that paradigm that exists in a world where we're very sensitive to there even being a paradigm that can be talked about. <laughs> well, I think that's beautifully framed. And I would I would offer two things. First of all, some people simply cannot be reached. They are so dedicated to mm. uh, a viewpoint with which they are emotionally attached to which they are emotionally attached that the only thing you can do is protect other people from them if people are threatening people (laughs) or they're so steeped in conspiracy theory that they're they're disrupting norms and they're threatening election workers and such the only thing you can do in in those cases is just seek to protect other people from them yeah in terms of effort i think one thing that we as individuals can all do and i emphasize that this is a prerogative that belongs to the individual Mm -hmm. we have to turn down the sarcasm the rhetorical questions the hostility on social media because that's gonna bring this whole human project to a halt we are not going to make it as a human community if we do not get out in front of the hostility that runs riot on social media and i think that's one way of doing it and it falls squarely on the shoulders of the individual. It will also, by the way, make the individual feel a hell of a lot better about him or herself because I think we labor under the illusion that that this kind of stuff is is consequence free uh, to the to the purveyor of it and it's not. We insult another person, we throw a rock at another person, we're sarcastic with another person without good humor and uh, we feel shame <laughs> and to sublimate that shame and hide that shame we go straight back to the bottle and take another hit, take another hit. And we degrade ourselves in doing it. So there's a lot of benefit that comes from desisting from from trash talk and it's greater than it may first seem. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's fascinating. I love talking with you, Mitch. This has been uh, such a great interview. Um, And and thank you for hanging in there, man. (laughs) All right. We have a take. Uh, Thank you so much. Uh, We'll we'll have to take a short break here on Night Drift. We'll be right back. I'm Jim Perry with Mitch Horowitz tonight on Night Drift. Jim Perry is taking your calls at 425-373-5527 or toll-free in Western Washington, 888-298-KKNW-5569.
with Jim Perry on Alternative Talk, 1150 AM, KKNW, Seattle. Now, here again is Jim. I'm Jim Perry, and this is Night Drift. I'm with Mitch Horowitz tonight. We're really kind of all over the place, but we're really exploring his new book, Uncertain Places. It's Essays on Occult and Outsider Experiences. Mitch is a Penn Award-winning author of Occult America, which is a book that, uh, Mitch, it, it really helped uh, shape my understanding mm-hmm of a cult, uh, of new thought, of theosophy, in a time where I was coming from a paranormal perspective and uh, just finding myself being lost in high strangeness and looking for construct to what these things could be. Uh, so many stories, so many pioneers within thought-provoking research and experiments I found through that book, and I recommend it to everyone that I talk to that wants to start reading about this stuff and actually be entertained because... <laughs> <laughs> You're a great writer, so Thank not you. to blow too much smoke at you, man. But uh, so Mitch is here. Uh, he's staying awake after like uh, just I mean, it's Monday or Tuesday and he's already like, yeah, just it's on still Monday day. for me, you know, clocked yeah. by you know, whether I've slept, <laughs> exactly. but I'm happy to be here. Yeah. I'm delighted to be with you. So he's here. He's got a bad brains T-shirt on and we're loving life. Um, Mitch, uh, you know, this is going to be a short segment but it, you know if you'll indulge me let's get personal for a second please um i'm i'm very fascinated by uh where you find yourself in this uh field of study uh as a academic as a writer uh you know how these things equate to how you're actually feeling uh, about being in this 3D reality in a meat sack right <laughs> uh, and and i'm curious you know when when we're talking about uncertain places what what's an uncertain place for you and what does that mean an uncertain place for me is that we've cataloged i've cataloged different experiences that 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 go beyond the physical that go beyond ordinary sensory experience and we've got the data we've got the testimony we've got the personal experiences the vast piece of the puzzle that we don't have is why. Why, why does any of mm. this stuff happen? What are the pipes that this travels through? What are the causes? And there's tremendous uncertainty with regard to that. We are like 
beings who are crouched on our knees peeking through a keyhole and we're seeing stuff through that keyhole and we're experiencing stuff sometimes that comes through that keyhole but we don't have any peripheral vision and we don't know what else is going on out there and the way things work in our western culture is we we demand causes we want to know where is this coming from and very often that expresses itself through theories. So science is in love with theories, and that's understandable. And um, if if we're going to participate in gathering data, I'm obviously very interested in lab data for um, extrasensory perception. I'm interested in empiricism for UFOs and so forth then there there does need to be a theory. A theory is is your in-law if if you're engaged in the scientific model. And you don't have to be engaged in the scientific model. Experience is perfectly valid on its own. But a theory is necessary if you're going to venture into that territory. And we don't have that yet. That's why I'm so interested in questions of interdimensionality, string theory, as you referenced. Um, I do think that within the uh, the ESP schema, uh, work needs to be done in in devising a theory. Uh, it may be that none of this material will overcome the natural resistances involved unless there's a commanding theory, which is which is what I'm working towards. I uh, and others are working towards it as well. I write about this in Daydream Believer and the Miracle Club and uncertain places. I think it falls to each generation to attempt a theory, even if it's wrong. It gives people a starting point. Uh, from which to launch debate, discussion, consideration, improvement. So that's part of the uncertainty that that we're dealing with. Fascinating. Um, how about you personally? How do you reflect on that? I mean, are you going to be okay if if we just never find out? Or and and how does that feel to you? I I I, I think I'm going to be okay. I do believe that sustaining questions is very important. I often tell people on the spiritual path that sustaining paradox is very important. Sometimes something occurs and it's really extraordinary and then it doesn't occur again and people get frustrated and they think, oh God, I'm doing it wrong or what have you. And they're not doing anything wrong. It's just that we live under many different laws and forces. And because something is not immediately repeatable doesn't mean it didn't occur. doesn't mean it didn't happen. doesn't mean it's not authentic, but there's a lot of other intervening qualities that occur in our lives. So I, I think I could sustain never knowing. I may have no choice, so I better be in a place where I have the <laughs> psychological equipment to sustain not knowing, or, right. you know, I'm going to become, uh, you know, the angry man carrying shopping bags and yelling at everybody on the subway, you know. So I really, I'm sort of borrowing that from Woody Allen, but I, I really better, I better have the, the cognition to sustain uncertainty because uh, I think a lot of it is in store. In fact, we're getting better and better at measuring things. We're getting better and better at gathering evidence. But the more that we learn, the more that we gather, the less we know because we're discovering greater and greater vistas of which we know less and less. So uncertainty is is a really key principle. Oh, I love it. I love uncertainty. I yeah. love it, man. Uh, let's, maybe let's it's in get my uncertain. numbers. I yeah. don't know. But yeah, let's get <laughs> uncertain. Uh, Mitch Horowitz is with us here and I'm doing resets like I'm on... FM radio, not even on an AM radio program, but that's okay. Uh, Mitch, lastly, I guess, what do you, what do you hope that people glean from 
uncertain places, if anything? What I really hope is that I, I, I wanted to give people freedom to pursue their own experiments and inquiries. And if I'm successful at persuading people that there is an extra physical quality to life, I think that the justified belief in that extra physical quality can help open people to its experiences. Mm. Uh, we see that in the placebo response, for example. The trigger sure. of the placebo response is basically hopeful expectancy. The expectation that something is going to occur correlates with something occurring. And I think that yeah. if I can instill in people a reasoned, evidentiary, well-argued uh, belief that the extra physical is actual, I think it will it will help loosen up and make people more available to some of these experiences and hence build people's own experiments. And I hope they'll find something. So that's my wish. Oh, I love it. It's a great book. Uh, I've, I've read it over the last week and I recommend it uh, very highly. And uh, thank, you. thank you so much for joining us here again. A real pleasure. Thank yeah. you very much. So Enjoyed great to it. talk to you. And thank you for listening to Night Drift with Jim Perry on Alternative Talk, KKNW 1150 AM Seattle. Hear the show anytime on its podcast feed wherever you listen to them. Go to euphemet.com for more and join us next Sunday. And until then, keep looking up. with Jim Perry on Spotify and subscribe on Apple Podcasts to receive new episodes of Night Drift automatically and gain access to all of our past episodes.